Welcome to the Powered by Age, Age-Friendly City Zoomcast, reality-style podcast. We are movers and shakers, shaking up the old notion of silent, helpless, invisible seniors. This is a new series of podcasts funded by the City of Vancouver and the 411 Senior Center Society. As PBA AFC ambassadors, we raise awareness, share our original stories and poems, inform, advocate, and involve seniors in discussing important social issues. In short, these podcasts will help us, you, in creating an age-friendly city for Vancouver today, tomorrow the world. You can hear us everywhere podcasts are heard. Hello, and welcome to the Powered by Age podcast, Powered by Age, Age-Friendly City. We join together every Thursday and talk about issues and share ideas. And today we will be talking about uh, Remembrance Day, which was yesterday in terms of the, the timeline. I will be hosting today's episode. My name is Robin Erickson, and as typical fashion, we will hear a a short introduction from all of the folks that are participating today and that we have online. Let's do something a little little outside of the box. I think we might have done this on another podcast, but for me, the, the gray weather is something that really sort of weighs down on my shoulders these days. So let's pretend in our introductions that we are uh, a different weather pattern. And if you could be any weather pattern today, what is it that you would be? And let's just for the sake of alphabetical order, start with Chris. (laughs) Oh, aren't I lucky? (laughs) So I'm I'm Chris, as, as you now know. I'm a member of Quirky, the Queer Imaging and Writing, Im- Writing and Imaging Collective for Elders out of Britannia Community Centre, as well as the LGBTQ Community Centre. My weather pattern for today, I think is fairly, I'm just seeing the ocean and, and what I'm seeing is it's fairly calm. No way. There's there's little waves, but there's nothing re- very very turbulent. Just kind of lazy, laid back and lazy. That's my weather pattern for today. <laughs> and of Great. course, it would help if I was sitting on a nice sunny beach with palm trees and everything, <laughs> in the shade, of course. <laughs> Great, thank you, uh, Leslie. Yes, I'm uh, Leslie Hebert. I'm from New Westminster. I'm a writer and an ESL teacher. And my weather pattern today, I think, would be a high-pressure front coming in because I'm feeling a few sort of... I'm feeling pressure from a few different sides today. But the thing is about the high-pressure front is that it brings in the good weather. So that's always a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Neil? My name is Neil Ryan. I live in Burnaby, um, and um, my weather pattern today is a little bit stormy. I have a lot of feelings about the topic today, and uh, I think that I think I would like to share one of my poems about the subject of today, and so, and maybe a couple photographs. So, yeah, I'm feeling a little stormy about. Remembrance Day. Yes, I can well imagine that there will be some stormy feelings in regards to to the topic today. As as I said in the in in the invite, uh, lots to think about, and it might be lively, might be solemn, might be stormy. Uh, so my name's Robin Erickson, and I have been a, a regular participant and a, a mentor on the the podcast. I'm a, a radio maker in my daytime job and my weather pattern today is I love the time of year before it gets wet and dewy outside and and the leaves are still dry and they can get the wind underneath them and become little little tumblers down the sidewalk and so I feel like a combination of the the sort of tumbling leaves 
with a, a, a little bit of wind underneath them and the crunchy sound that also kind of kicks them up is where, where I'm at today. So it's both a, a sound and sight. All right. So as I mentioned, today's podcast is looking at Remembrance Day here in Canada. Uh, Remembrance Day 2020 marks the 75th anniversary of the end of the Second World War, as well as the 75th anniversary of the atomic bombings in Japan. And it is the 75th anniversary of the founding of the United Nations. So three really big, big deals. And there's a lot of, I guess, debate and different considerations as Remembrance Day has gone on. And um, and so today we're going to dig in a little bit about what it means to us and whether or not you feel like it still holds relevance, how we remember, what we do to remember the, the, the day, and if we, if we do, and what it means to think about war and peace in general in this day and age. So, yeah, I sent some prompts to sort of get us, get us thinking. The first prompt was, what are you remembering for remembering? day or what did you remember yesterday did you take time to remember and if so what what did that look like when remembrance day comes around i always remember that my father never wanted to watch the remembrance day or actually in britain it was the armistice day ceremonies on tv because he went through the Second World War it never talked about it but i assume he had some horrific experiences and just wanted the television off he didn't want anything to do with it Mm. i always wear a poppy and i also think about some of my uh, one of my favorite poets is wilfred owen a first world war poet and some of his poetry that basically illustrated the horrors of war and i find those running through my head very often on remembrance Mm. day I have a slightly different remembrance. Also, my early experiences were when I was a child still in England. And my father didn't have to go to war because he worked in a he worked in a in a business that I think made lenses, you know, like for mic for 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 I don't know, microscopes and things like that. So it was considered that he needed to be in this factory making these things but what i what i remember and i have a photograph of my mother and my father and me i was the only child at that point sitting in a park with two german pow's and there was not not far from leicester where i grew up there was a, a a detention camp but but they were allowed to to go out on on weekends and so my god knows my father did all sort of weird things so he must have made arrangements at some point and these two guys used to come and spend Sundays with us every week so they sort of became part of our extended family and they would go back to the detention camp at the end of the day presumably and I mean, my recollection, I have no clue what they were going back to or probably why they were there, but they just kept coming back every Sunday. And every Sunday we had a nice, I remember having a nice time. That's sort of my impression of not necessarily Remembrance Day, but of something that's connected to World War II for me. Yeah. I think that's my most vivid sort of memory. My father was in uniform in the First World War. He was born in 1896, so he was in his late teens. By the 1914, he would be 17. But he never went anywhere, as far as I know. And it's really unclear what his participation was. But I have seen one photograph of him in uniform, the the 19... 
14 style uniform but not not in full dress not not it wasn't a regalious type it was just uh, you know you could see his suspenders so but I have I have a lot of feelings about it. and my by the way my father ran a prisoner of war camp in the Second World War on the Ottoman River and uh, Germans were mostly pilots that were shot down over England and um, were there to cut lumber and I have some plaques that the that a German soldier carved uh, and my son now has them. But anyway, that long story is that so father was absent during the war from when I was probably about two until I was five and a half. But one of the, I, Robin, I want to try and show a picture. Now, yesterday I spent six, between six and eight hours going through about a thousand photographs looking for one that I took in North London back in 2013. Yeah, 2013. And uh, this is not the photograph. I was not successful in my hunt. I And as I said, I probably went through at least a thousand photographs to try and find it because it was important to me. But I'm going to try and share the screen that I have this is the photograph that I stole uh, off the net, but it's very, very similar to the one that I took. I just went exploring in North London. I was living up in that area when I was living in London, and I went up to this church. And off to the side was a little graveyard, but this was the condition of the graveyard. It's And the picture I took and wanted to find was uh, of an RAF pilot of some sort that in 1942, 43, somewhere in there, he was shot down and he was buried there by this church. And this was a fairly good representation of what the pilots, the the photograph that I was looking for, showed the name of the pilot and his age was 23 and... Okay, so this is audio, Neil. So maybe can you describe what we're looking at? Okay, we're, what we're looking at is a is a is a grave in in great disrepair. The trees have grown underneath the the markers and tipped them over. And his was not particularly tipped, but it was the plot was in total upheaval and was covered in leaves and hadn't been touched in quite some time. And so what we're looking at is that exact situation with a bunch of uh, head markers uh, nearby. And what I was upset about was the lest we forget, you know, this this young boy gave his life. and, And I have some feelings about this because... When I was born, um, I was christened Robert, and this boy's name was Robert. I don't remember his last name, but and I thought, you know, uh, there but for the grace of God go I. And so I have another photograph that I would like to add in. I just yes. want to add about that one photograph that you were showing is that there's moss and it it looks like it looks like somewhere that nobody has been for a very long time apart from the fact that nature has sort of taken over it you know the the headstones are are completely green with moss and kind of look yep. almost moldy yep. <laughs> in yep. in a way yeah. so the the grave was covered in rotting leaves mm-hmm. and uh Yes, yes. It had been abandoned for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, this is a photograph that, that I, I, I posted this somewhere. This was in 2014, 2015. I was back in Montreal by then. And, the, and it says, why are there so many monuments to war and so few monuments to peace? This was a park in Montreal that had 
the South African Wars, the the First World War, which was, by the way, 122, 102 years ago that the armistice was signed. It's interesting, it, that war was never signed as complete. It was signed as an armistice, so we are still technically at war with the Habsburgs. But that's another story. So I, I'm happy to close this, but it, it, I, I like the fact that I had posted the idea that said, why are there so many monuments to war? Because there were at least a half a dozen monuments in that part, and so few monuments to peace. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. my understanding is, and most war mon- most war memorials have the names of the soldiers that have died. So I understand it as a memorial to the dead rather than. A celebration of war. Um, but the monuments are remembrances of the war. They're not monuments to the dead. Well, uh, I think, you know, I don't know what monuments they have in Montreal, but any ones that I, you know, I've seen have all had the names of the dead on them, right? Some of them, some of them did, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely in the UK, they all have the names of the dead on Every village that you go to, you know, there's a cross with all the names of the war dead on it, you know. Go ahead, Leslie. This is sort of an interesting change of focus. And I think, you know, it's very important. And I was thinking about this, too, when I got the prompts, that you look at the, you know, the importance of language and the importance of naming things. So in the UK, this is Armistice Day. In Canada, it's Remembrance Day. So we do remember, and the whole thing is lest we forget. Some people like to remember the glories of war. I know I, you know, traveling around Europe, I bumped into groups of people from North America that were back to visit World War II battle sites, which, you know, whatever. Um, In the United States, it's called Veterans Day, which is a completely different focus because it ignores the fact that people died. It's actually celebrating the living soldiers that came back. And it seems to be much more of a glorification. So, you know, that change of focus sometimes can be very subtle, but I think it's very important. It's very good to point that out. It really, really is, because uh, the the only time that I, uh, my ex-wife's father was a major in the Second World War. But the part that I didn't, I I had to honor him because he did what I think he had to do. And so back to the, the idea of whether or not the Remembrance Day celebrations in the way that we understand them and, and proceed with them um, are still relevant in 2020. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, last night, I had seen that the uh, Unitarians were holding a a memorial last evening, and it was the White Poppy Memorial. And one of the things that came up was uh, there was a professor at, um, I forget some, I don't know whether it's at UBC or, or somewhere in Victoria, but he was sort of the, I don't know, the the person who, who talked about his, not his experience, but as a professor who taught military stuff. And one of the things in the course of their service was that somebody said, we used war once and did it work? No. So why do we keep repeating it? Because we know it doesn't work. (laughs) And so it's like, lest we forget, we don't even remember that this has happened so many times, and in fact, it does not resolve any of the conflicts that initiated the war. And so the perspective is that uh, it's, it's not so much whether war is relevant, it's that it doesn't work. It doesn't achieve what the goals are in terms of presumably the rationale behind going to war. And then, of course, now in this day and age, we have this whole global reality where you have one country dropping bombs on another country that has nothing to do with the one that that originated the bombs. And so it's it's such a confusion in my in my head. So 
you know, I, I've resisted for a number of years wearing a red poppy. This year, I, I didn't go anywhere, so I do have a couple of white poppies that I wear. Of course, I couldn't find them, but it didn't matter because I was in my house anyway. <laughs> but I think that, you know, I, I agree that it's hard for me to separate the remembrance of those who have gone before and have died without feeling really pissed off because they were sent into these young men, mostly young men were sent into situations for no good reason or for no reason. And what we, what we know now um, in hindsight is this is all about money. Mm -hmm. It's all about building arms. It's all about, you know, the more arms we have, the better, the more money we'll make and sell to other countries. So, you know, there's, for me, there might have initially been early on in some of the wars, there could have been, because I don't know enough about history, but there could have been some, some thought that maybe this was a way to solve the problem. But since then, it just has totally gotten out of hand. And, and it's not, I mean, I know there's a lot of people who think the same thing, but the establishment still continues, right? I mean, it, it's just ludicrous in my, to my way of thinking that, that if we think that this is going to solve anything, I mean, it, it's like seeing kids on a, in a park, in a, in a playground, and so the kids begin to fight. So, so what do you do? You just stand there and watch them and let them fight so that one comes out full of bruises and maybe doesn't come out at all. And the other one is now the hero. We don't, we don't do that to kids in a playground. So why do we do that to, why do we do that to countries? And it's not just the countries, it's the individuals, the people who live in the countries because we have all kinds of memorials with the names of all of the soldiers that mm-hmm. died. But where are the memorials to all of the women and children who'd, and, and seniors who died just because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time mm-hmm. or because somebody else decided that it was they were going to drop a bomb on this village? It, 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 just, it just blows my mind. I just cannot... I just can't conceive of anything that would make war acceptable. I just can't conceive of it. Certainly not not these days. I mean, you'd think we'd be smarter by now, <laughs> that we would have figured out that we've done this time and time and time again, and there's been no peace. There's been no peace at the end of it. There's conflict still there. You know, maybe not quite so so. Um, so overt, but there's still that subtle differences that underlie whatever whatever provoked the war in the first place. Well, so, yeah. you know, a little a little more conflict resolution might work. Mm-hmm. Bringing sides together to to attempt to have conversations and discussions rather than bringing in the guns and the planes and the tanks. And I think nowadays it's not just guns and planes and tanks, it's cyber warfare, it's germ warfare, you know, there's a you know a whole bunch of other weapons that yeah. aren't quite so overt. Yeah. And yeah. I think also, Chris, you bring up a couple of good points. You know, one is that the civilian casualties to to oh. war and the cost of just regular people's lives who have yeah. nothing to do with the so-called quote-unquote conflict, right? right. Women right. and children, I just Collateral damage. The, the collateral damage, yeah. for yeah. sure. Yeah. And also the, the collateral damage goes beyond what's happening in the moment into the trauma that these societies continue to, to live with. You know, I think about the countries in the Middle East, like Syria, you know, that have been bombed and their entire society has been destroyed. And so now not only have they lived through being bombed to death, they're living through having been bombed to death and trying to live with all of the 
the residual death and destruction and trauma that 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 is you know and so how do we how do we heal from that you know like how do those people not just be pissed right off at the west and you know where where does that retaliation and the vengeance and all of the hurt go where it's not just this back and forth in the playground where people just want to beat each other up um it's it's really complicated in some ways and devastating in the most ways so so i guess that brings me to the 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 question you know if if we could change remembrance day Mm. would you change it how would you change it what would that look like and I'm sorry, Neil, I muted your, your microphone because your phone was ringing. So, okay, now, you, now, you've, got, uh, now you've got a voice yeah. again. Um, well, I was going to tell Chris, the First World War took 9 million soldiers' lives mm-hmm. and 9.5 million civilians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was also responsible for a new growth industry, which was uh, making artificial limbs. Oh, well, that's a good money maker. Mm. I was uh, when I was when I was in public school. There was a, a munition factory down the street uh, because my school was right next to Lake Ontario. They were shooting machine guns. Um, uh, three out of the five days every week. <laughs> throughout the spring and fall. I don't know what happened in the summertime, but they would make machine guns and you could hear the machine guns down the street. And uh, and I was in a uh, on a on a consulting job in Quebec City in Valdor, uh, Valdor Quebec and they made 50,000 bullets an hour that all went to the UN. You know. Anyway, I have a poem I'd like to share at some point in time. Yeah, maybe now is a good time. It's called The Forgotten. The Forgotten. Our finger writes our fate in the dust of ages and then moves on. In time, the dust returns to cover the traces of our being here. It is not death that we fear so much as the obliteration of our meaning for existence. Erasure into non-existence is the enemy of our ego. Lest we forget is a lie. We will be forgotten. And like Ozymandias, nothing of our gift will remain as the eternity of time will obliterate all the traces of the millions born that have lived and died, how well do you remember any of them? The taste of this truth is bitter on my tongue, and I dare not utter what appears to be true. Entropy demands all traces of our existence will face erasure. This self-devouring universe ensures that all will be forgotten. It may be important to me that I bring something to the party, yet time will obliterate the absurdity and leavings of my enthusiasm. Even though it matters now, erasure will begin on my death. The deeds of of a few are remembered, but the story is not the person, and the truth of their existence will be distorted into a lie. In the millennial of time, even the famed are as ephemeral as we all are. In the face of the oncoming tides of eradication, my love story is written in the sand of the moment and the enormity of my death matters most to the words that follow, I am. In this ever-changing, groundless existence called life, time is endless, and our presence here is truly only now. 
the lives of those we knew now gone are relegated to the echoes of the past. And in the infinite corridors of time, erasure is the fate for all of us. I'm sorry, that's a little heavy, but... It's a heavy topic. Yeah, very pertinent. I mean, so basically, you know, we go around saying, lest we forget, knowing that eventually we will, not us as individuals, but our society will forget. Yeah. And history, history shows us that, that we forget. Decade after decade after decade. Because we do it again. And we do it all over again. Yeah, no, exactly. You were asking how how could Remembrance Day be, we call it Remembrance Day, how could it be changed? I mean, I, I think that's a good, I think that's a good topic because it's very frustrating to to see these things and to have these sort of, I mean, your poem was amazing, Neil. It was, I mean, yes, it was very deep and very heavy, but also very true. So, you know, it carries with it real, real truths. So how do we, it, well, it's true that, you know, our, our, our existence might be remembered for a few years beyond our death by a few people. How, how do we... How do we bring to to the consciousness of a global consciousness? But how do we even start bringing the consciousness to the absurdities of war, really and truly? Um, one of the things that happened at the virtual memorial last night was they had a bunch of wreaths, and all of the wreaths were for different groups of people. And so they had one for indigenous people where, where other nations had come in and stolen their lands. They had one for women who were raped and, and, and abused in any of those kind of conflicts. So there was an acknowledgement of the deeper realities of what war did. So I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that we even though it's so-called Remembrance Day and it's lest we forget and all that stuff, but clearly we don't remember and we always forget. So how, how, do, we, how do we turn that on its head so that it's, that it's we must remember, <laughs> not, not lest we forget, but we look at what we've done. Look at what we've done in the name of this. And here we are glorifying it in many ways, right? Because those memorials often have soldiers on top with guns and, you know, I mean, I've seen a lot of those kind of memorials and there's, there's soldiers on horseback and, I mean, I th <laughs> given the fact that we're in an era of pulling down statues, I think those would be some really good statues to pull down, to be honest, that, that we need to get rid of the image how do we get rid of that image and glorifying that image by putting it on the top of a memorial? Even though we have the names of all the people that died, we're still glorifying why they, why they died, right? I mean, as you can tell, I'm extremely frustrated and, 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 and riled up because uh, my calm sea has disappeared already. <laughs> but my anarchist heart loves what you're saying, Chris. <laughs> my yep, seat is extremely and, uh, turbulent right now. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I mean, I think the white poppy movement here has certainly has certainly begun to raise uh, raise awareness, and there are pockets of people. But how do we how do we bring how do we organize? How do we bring people together? I have no, I have no clue, but I can't think of any other way that some of this will happen. I think I'll maybe go and find a few people who'd be, I don't, I don't, I haven't looked at the cenotaph or whatever it is down in Victory Park very often, but maybe if there's a soldier on top with a gun, I'll get somebody to go down and pull it off. 
I, I think it's just a, a obelisk. Oh. Some so. of them have soldiers carrying dead companions, which I think is much more fitting. Yeah. My view of it is, is that the soldiers are there as part of the seduction that says you will be a hero if you give up your life. And mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're all seduced by the government that says, you know, I have a poem that, that says, you know, what's wrong is that we see ourselves as separate than, than anybody else. And how do we give up the idea that says we're Canadians? I, 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 I'm sorry that we're not Canadians. We're fellow human beings. And, there, and I've, I've been blessed with travel. I've traveled the world, and the thing that's really, really interesting is everybody has the same desire. Yeah, I want to exactly. be loved. Yeah. I want to have somebody to love. I want to have some work to do that feels rewarding, and I want to get up in the morning and want to do mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and people have been asking this question about the pointlessness of war ever since the end of the First World War. Um, if I could, Robin, I'd like to read uh, a poem by Wilfred Owen which I think addresses this question. Lovely. Uh, sorry, I think one of his poems would read, was read last night at the uh, memorial at the, through the United Church as well. Do you know which one it was? I can't. I can't remember. Uh, there, there are two that are really touching. One is Anthem for Doomed Youth, um, but the other one is called Duce et Decorum Est, uh, which is Latin, you know, the old Latin phrase, how sweet and fitting it is to die for your country. Yeah, that, that's okay. the one. That that's the one. Yeah. Um, could I read it again? Yeah, please. Do it. Do it. Okay, okay. Bent double, like all beggars under sacks. Knock need, coughing like hags, we cursed through sludge. Till on the haunting flares, we turned our backs. And towards our distant rest, began to trudge. Men marched asleep. Many had lost their boots, but limped on, blood shod. All went lame, all blind, drunk with fatigue, deaf even to the hoots of tired, outstripped five nines that dropped behind. Gas, gas, quick boys, an ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time but someone still was yelling out and stumbling and floundering like a man in fire or lime dim through the misty plains and thick green light as under a green sea i saw him drowning in all my dreams before my helpless sight he plunges at me guttering choking drowning if in some smothering dreams you too could pace behind the wagon that we flung him in and watch the white eyes writhing in his face his hanging face like a devil's sick of sin if you could hear at every jolt the blood come gargling from the froth corrupted lungs obscene as cancer Bitter as the cud of vile, incurable sores on innocent tongues. My friend, you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory the old lie. Dulce et decorum est pro patria mori. Oh, my goodness. Those words are exactly what we need to be able to remember, which strikes me as the reason why we're so unable to remember, right? Because, because it's, it's so horrifying. Hard to face. It's horrifying. Yeah. But the, the, the graphic representation of what it must mean to be in that space, it's just like, ugh. You can smell it. You can feel it. You can just like agonize with it. Yeah. 
and the ironic thing is that Owen was killed in battle very shortly before the end of the war. Yes, yes. A very yeah. young man. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things, I mean, when you hear, the, when hearing the poetry, it conjures up though the images, um, of course. I mean, that is part of what poetry does. One of the things that, that I kind of wonder about is in my head, I have this image of that little girl running in the square with the tank oh, running yeah. after her, right? That's Vietnam, you know, right? And the other thing is there's the image, if you think about it, there's the image of the little boy on the shore that was drowned, mm-hmm. this little Syrian boy that was drowned. And those two images really did really did move people to respond. Mm-hmm. But how do we do it so that people are not responding, but are proactive in terms of not letting these things happen? I mean, I, I feel a little bit, I, I don't feel great about seeing some of the, the, the news and the photographs and stuff like that. It's too hard to watch of the disasters and, and the, the inhumane activities that have gone on. And I mean, I find them hard to watch, but do we need to watch them? Is that what needs to happen? Do we well, need- it, I don't know, Chris. I mean, they are hard to watch. And I think the tendency is that after a while you become numb to it. Yeah. You either become numb or you turn a blind eye because it's so painful. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I remember we used to get images of, uh, you know, the famines in Africa. Oh. And every day we would see, you know, starving children. And so it just became numb to it. It was just, it's terrible. You know, I, I don't know how you can keep people open to something that's so terrible. No. And maybe that's the question, right? Because mm-hmm. I agree with you. I mean, every the the world vision or whatever it is is always asking for money for children every single day. You know, a dollar a day or a, a coffee a day, and they have these images of children, and it's just, yeah. I mean, I, I see them constantly, and it just it just pains me so deeply. And I have to say, there are times when I look away, when I when I turn it off, not because I'm numb, but because because it's so terrible. Yeah, or the pain so much. Yes, because you go one of two ways, right? Either the pain so much, or you numb yourself. That's right. Yeah. Well, I've got to add at this point in time is, is if you knew the politics that goes on behind that, I was. Uh, consulting a company here in Vancouver that owns a company in in Wyoming that produces corn effluents because they make uh, they make gasoline out of corn, mm-hmm. and he wanted to give that that to uh, quite edible. It's totally edible. It's, there's nothing wrong with it except that the politics wouldn't let him because. The U.S. corn would be afraid that they could no longer sell their corn to Africa or something. It was just, it was pitiless. There was no pity involved in it. It was all about money. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that has come up about our conversation in terms of a war and why it continues and how it is you know, we talk about the war machine rather than the peace machine, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. when the peace machine is really the thing that we need for, for humanity to, to survive. And we're not even talking about thriving, um, <laughs> just surviving. And, and we, but but we, on the other hand, we have that saying that some of us know is that money is the heart of all evil. Mm. And, I mean, you know, we, we kind of live in a time where that is so clear and so obvious. Um, maybe, the, maybe that should be greed is at the heart of all mm. evil. Money yeah. is totally imp- impassive. 
yeah. he doesn't care. Yeah. But it's the greed that that yeah. that is allowed to flourish. Yes, you're right, Neil. You're right. Money itself is just a and and also there's a, there's a there's a segment of the population that is addicted to, addicted to violence and, and 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 they get they get all the excuses that they need. Uh, I've been I've been studying recently Gabor Mate's idea that says. All addiction is because of the chemistry in our mind that we get addicted to whatever because we need to get out of our our destructive, broken, traumatized mind, and we use whatever we can and uh, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, whatever yeah. we need in order to get out of the pain of living a traumatized life. So, uh, uh, so my solution is the Buddhist solution, which is to say, this is a, a groundless, a groundless experience we call life. We have no rock on which we can stand. So we use religion and government and war or whatever in order to give us an, a feeling of having some security. My worry what? about that and and in terms of what you're saying, you know, if we look at it in terms of trauma feeding the war machine is that the war creating more trauma, which creates more addictive mm. tendencies exactly. to fuel our need to get out of the situation is only going to make things worse, Right. And so back to what Chris was saying, how do we, and of course, this is a much bigger conversation than the, the few minutes left of time that we, that we really have, but how do we, how do we interject with, with peace and the message of peace and being able to live outside of trauma, outside of war, outside of the need to remember the horror that we have perpetrated and still continue to perpetrate on our Indigenous friends and relatives and neighbours and keepers of the land. And the, the, the most vulnerable in our communities, the environment. I have, you know, there's a, there's have, a string of, of things that I could... I have a thought about that. Great. And that is, there's only there's only one person that needs to heal the trauma, and that's me. I need to I need to learn to love myself, and in doing so, love the rest of the world, love the community that I live in, love the people that I do Zoom with, love myself, and when I heal my trauma. Because, because I'm, hey, I'm born in 1940. There's a world at war and 50 million people died at the hands of guns and bombs and God knows what all. I, I grew up in a milieu of death and violence, even though in northern western Ontario, the worst that we had was the fact that our butter was was uh, uh, what do you call it? Where you can only have a little bit. Our our butter rationed. It's it. rationed. Rationed. Yes, our butter and our gas. Well, I didn't care about gas, but the butter was. <laughs> my, and yet, and yet, and yet, on the news. On the news, uh, my mother told me one time when a thunderstorm, I lived in Fort Francis then. It's a tiny, tiny town, northwestern Ontario, and there was a thunderstorm. And I ran into the house saying, the germs are coming, the germs are coming. How did a three or four year old learn the germs are coming? Mm. It was not germs, it was the Germans. Yeah. And the thunderstorm was, 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 you know, I'd already been traumatized. Mm -hmm. 
I, I certainly um, agree with that principle, Neil, that it's sort of like the only person, the only person we can control is ourselves. I can't control anybody else. Yeah. I do think that within that construct, there has to be an ability to, as they say these days, be an influencer, right? I mean, how, how do we move beyond that. One of the things that occurs to me is that language, as you started off um, saying, uh, Leslie, that la- how important language is. I mean, just look, we talk about the war on drugs. And recently I'm seeing on television the announcement for a TV show called The War of the Worlds. Mm. I mean, that whole notion of, of war permeates permeates our system and and while I'm working on myself I also need to feel that somehow I do have because you and we all know that right and we all work on that so but I don't want to be stuck in my own little corner of the world taking care of myself or making sure that I'm working on myself we, we, I agree, we need to do that. We need to do it all the time. We need to be constantly doing it and conscious of what we're doing. But how, do we, how, does, that, how does that move beyond the, my skin and your skin into a larger... I mean, many of my friends that I know are in that same... all, all believe that same thing. They all have, many of them have the same philosophy. Many of them are Buddhists and follow a Buddhist teaching. Um, and and yet, how do we, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, it just is so hard that, um, yes, I can work on myself, but then what? Because yeah. everybody, everybody doesn't. Everybody doesn't get that message. And everybody doesn't do it, even if they hear it. We're going to leave the podcast there because of our time, but I'm going to keep the window open um, if if we want to keep talking a little bit uh, a little bit more about this. Um, just.